This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. said make a righteous judgment and the judgment Jesus is talking about you shall know them by their fruit that takes judgment righteous judgment takes judgment but the judgment that Jesus says be careful when you judge is the judgment unto condemnation meaning you're judging someone saying because of what they've done they're going to hell we need to be careful that is not your place that's where you need to be careful what did Jesus says take that big telephone pole out of your eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye we tend to want to call people out on their problems and sins, but when they do it back to us, we're not as excited to be called out. Sometimes it's easier to focus on other people's problems so we don't have to think about our own or so people don't see ours. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will remind you that it's not your place to judge God's people. It is God's and God's alone. You are to focus on yourselves and love those that God puts around you. Well. Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of James chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Sin of Partiality. We need to set the example. It doesn't matter, rich or poor, Slave or free, it doesn't matter. Paul says neither Jew nor Gentile. And we have a tendency to separate ourselves from other people because they're not like us. I understand there's an attraction with people of your kind, but sometimes we have that and it's sad. But it should not be in the church. But sadly, we see this partiality is making its way into, uh, still in the church today. I remember while, while in Costa Rica, uh, traveling through the villages in town, we went to pass this uh, city called San Jose, which is the main city port there. And the pastor there that was driving us around, he said, you see that church right there? That church right there, they have the rows of seat priced. The closer you want to get to the altar at the stage, the more the seat costs you. And that's happening today. Can I tell you, I, you know, I don't think they learned that. I think they learned that, I have to say, they learned that from America. There's a documentary called The, Gospel, uh, the American Gospel, and they have one and part two, I think is good to read. These, these countries from around the world, they want a gospel like America because it's a prosperity gospel, it's a false gospel. And that's where they get it. And, and, and it's been filtering around. One thing we know for sure here in the house of God, because this is the Lord, uh, we don't put you know, too much into the building and the chairs and the furnitures, but one thing for sure, when we gather together, we are the house of God. This is the church. You are the church. When you're out of here, when this place is empty, it's not the church. It's just a building. It's just a shell. But one thing, when the people come in the midst of us, when they come into us and they come, they come to fellowship with us, whether they're believers or whether they're sinners looking for answers, whether they're rich or whether they're poor, the only one that gets the honor and the full attention and, and, and the, the center of attention is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who comes through that door. Everybody's treated the same. We don't show partiality to anyone. You know, I really don't care who comes in. Oh, this person, okay, that's great. He's going to sit down like all of us. <laughs> 
I've been to churches where they say, oh, you know, we got a good guest. Let's, let's, you know, let's, you, you know, have them sit in the front. No, let them find a seat like everybody else. <laughs> that wasn't my church, by the way. And this is why the only arrangement we have here is the arrangement for, you know, for, as far as seating is for, you know, parents with children in the back row. Should a child cry and child becomes restless, you know, they could, so there won't be a distraction, they'll take the child out to the fellowship hall, to the hall. But we don't have any special seating arrangements. You don't have to reserve your seat. We don't have to price the front row. We don't have golden fancy chairs on the podium, on the pulpit. I've been in churches like that where they're sitting up there and they, everybody's standing and worshiping. They're just sitting down, crossing their legs, looking at you. Oh, yeah, you're worshiping. That's great. So who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, it's just not humble. It's just not humble. And that is why we don't have a dress code. Well, dress modestly, that is. We don't have a dress code. You want to come in sneakers and ties? By all means, just come as you are. You want to come in a suit and tie? By all means. We don't dress to impress. We dress to worship God. You know, there, I've been through legalism when that's where it was. You had to dress a certain way. I was raised that way. But we don't have a dress code. That's why we don't pass the plate. Another reason. It's between you and the Lord. We have a box in the back. We have a box in the fellowship hall. It's between you and the Lord. Because you had the tendency, and I've seen it. I've done it myself when I was young. You know, if it was a $50 bill, a $100 bill, smack. Open it up. Lay it flat right on the top. Usher's going, whoa, thank you. He wasn't in the spirit. It's just the weight of the bill. Or you write a check. Everybody hears that, right? Or you're going to heaven. You gave a, you gave, I see that. You know, if it, I gave $1 bills because I, I didn't want to not pass the plate and not give anything. So if it's a $1 bill, I triple, quadruple, fold it so they won't see. It's just green. You know, and we have a tendency to do that, you know. Jesus said, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Give, you give in secret. God would be honored and glorified. And so we don't pass it. I don't know $50, brother. I don't know $500, brother. I don't want to know. That's between you and the Lord because I am not, you know, I'm, I'm made of feet of clay just like you. I don't want to look at somebody, oh, wow, yeah, you know, this person, huh, I'm going to, I'm going to ordain him. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to have John step down and have him assistant pastor. No, I can't do that. He's given a lot. But, you know, the point is, you see, that, that's what happens. Some churches tend to make deacons and people because of what they give. And so we need to be humble. And that's why when we come in, we come in, come as you are. We come in to worship the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're dressed fancy or not. Dress comfortable. Just have the heart of worship. You know, and we don't worry about... You know, the finances between you and the Lord. I said, God loves a cheerful giver. If we feel that you, never, ever, never, ever, in almost 11 years, August, we make 11 years here, never, ever, if we came up here and said, we are hurting financially, we're doing a fundraiser, can you pray and consider about your, we never, ever did that. Never. You find it, you, you, you let me know. But I, I know I'm getting old, but I know for sure, I, I can remember, I did not say that because I would not. Never, ever, ever have you heard you got an email from us saying, hey, our finances are low. We need, could you prayerfully consider making a donation, a larger donation? Never, ever. Why? Because when we as a church, the leaders, and everybody here as a church, when we know there is, you know, something that we need, who do we go to? The Lord. Yes. I go to the Lord. Why would I go to you? 
I'll go to the Lord. Now, if you're one of those that like to tip God, that's between you and the Lord, okay? That's, you know, you give sparingly, sparingly you will receive, right? And, you know, it's a principle. It's amazing how people become scholars when it comes to tithing. They don't know any other doctrine. They won't, they're not going to thicken him and prove doctrine to you. But when it comes to tithing and giving, oh, they're scholars. They open up their Bible and flip pages like crazy. But here, <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. All your needs. Not only for the church, but also for you personally. For you personally. He doesn't give you all your wants because we are in the flesh. We want a lot of stuff, okay? But he'll give you all your needs. I started writing. I wanted a Harley. I had to start really low and got something used, but it was good. I'm happy with it. I'm probably going to stay with it for the rest of my life. But anyhow, it's not what I need, okay? Now, James used the illustration here of the church, and it's not only, again, for the church as a whole, because we think of the church, we think of leadership, we think of the ushers and greeters. Are the ushers and greeters doing this? No, they're not doing that from here because everybody, uh, no one dresses too fancy and thinks that they need to be up front. But this also personally. We personally show partiality by color, race, culture. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And we are liars if we don't agree with that. We say we're not. For example, this is personal. If I told you that in 24 hours, 24 hours, you're going to meet King Charles at the Royal Palace in London. All expenses paid, private jet, to and from back, you have only two hours or maybe 30 minutes with the king. What are you going to do? You're going to buy yourself a new outfit. You're going to get a pedicure, manicure, do your hair. You're going to make sure you get rid of all the blackheads on your face or pimples. You're going to do everything you can because you're going to meet King Charles. However, if I told you in less than 24 hours, we're going to go down to town and we're going to speak with a homeless man. Would you do the same? Now you may say, well, that's different. No, no. Would you do the same? Would you make the same effort to prepare yourself to see a homeless man as you would King Charles? That is partiality. Your attitude, regardless of what you think. And that's where, so it's not only the church, it's us personally. Okay? And so this is what James is trying to point out here. We're all vulnerable. We're all guilty of treating people differently depending on how we view them outwardly. All of us. And as believers in Christ, this is probably one of those things in Christianity that fell under the radar. You probably think, oh, I never heard about that in Christianity. I heard about, you know, you know thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not, you know, uh, use the Lord's name in vain, all the other things, right? But we never heard, but this is a sin, and we're going to see it. It's clearly a sin that James has to write a whole paragraph, maybe two paragraphs, depending how we look at it and how the Greek, it was written in the Greek. We have it for 13 verses, but he takes the time out to make that clear. This is wrong, especially in the house of God, especially for Christians. So here's the illustration. He gave us the rich man. With the fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, he gets the attention. He gets the good seat. The poor man, who hardly has any clothes, he's dirty. He doesn't get the special treatment. He gets to sit on the floor or wait outside in the parking lot. And so James goes on to say, after explaining, look at verse 4. He says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves 
and become judges with evil thoughts. Judges with evil thoughts. The answer is yes, if that's what if that's how we practice Christianity. Yes. Because showing partiality does not come from the Spirit of God, but by judging with our own evil thoughts, it comes from here. And it's wrong. You know, anytime we get that word of judging, be careful. Now, there's two types of judgment. You have people in the world, they don't know the Bible. And you start sharing, you know, hey, you know, with love, you know, that the life that they are living is a sin against God, right? That's how I came to know Christ. You have to say the truth. I said, why are you judging me? And that's not judgment unto condemnation. That's different. Jesus said, make a righteous judgment. And the judgment Jesus is talking about, you shall know them by their fruit. That takes judgment. Righteous judgment takes judgment. But the judgment that Jesus says, be careful when you judge, is a judgment Unto condemnation, meaning you're judging someone, saying because of what they've done, they're going to hell. We need to be careful. That is not your place. That's where you need to be careful. What did Jesus say? Take that big telephone pole out of your eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. And so that's a different judgment. But here is a judgment. We're judging with evil thoughts. It's not godly. It does not come from the Lord. So we're judging the rich man to be better, more worthy than one who is poor. It is wrong, it is evil, and is not of God, it is it's not pure. Later on, we're writing James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So let's look at verse 5. He goes on to say, listen, my beloved brethren. He already began with brethren. Now he says, listen, I love you. It's going to get harder. I already told you the book of James is one of those those books that when you finish studying, you're going to have sores all over. It's going to hit you. So he's, (laughs) he's trying to slow it up here. Listen, my beloved brother, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Just before we move on, don't think that James is writing. He doesn't mean that the rich are a disadvantage of, you know, when when it comes to believing. But what he's saying is the poor are more apt to rely on God because he relies on faith because he has needs. Where else can he go? The rich man already has. The poor man does not. Okay? The poor man does not put his faith on his riches because the obvious reasons he does not have riches. And just so we could get an idea was rich and poor because we have a tendency to look in the flesh. It's better to see what God considers what is rich and what is poor. The letter to the church of Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 8 of Revelation, he said, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who, who was dead and come to life. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. It's talking about poor. Not poor in spirit, but physically poor. But you are rich. You see, that's what he says to the church of Smyrna. The word Smyrna means, is, is from the word herb to mean to break. And they were suffering persecution. I know you're poor. I know your tribulation. Okay? This is the only church that God has nothing against. Then later on, he goes into the church of Laodicea. And to the church of Laodicea, he says, I know your work. It's in verse 14 of chapter 3. I know your works, that you are neither 
cold nor hot, I wish you were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you did not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blinded, and naked. Now, the Church of Laodicea, the history of the Church of Laodicea, just to give you a little quick background, they were so wealthy that in Laodicea, they, there was a city, there was an earthquake that shattered their town. We're talking about everything was shattered, it was an earthquake. Rome offered them money to build their city. They denied it. Since when the state of any... In history of state, we turned down government funding, right? Laodicea, no, we're wealthy. We could rebuild our city, our home. You see, for the ones that was physically wealthy, you see, God's economy, okay, those that are the poor, okay, is different from those who are rich. The world, and we shouldn't, this shouldn't be our concept. That's to come money. It, it, this is the root of all evil. It's not money. It's the love of money, that is. The love of money, wanting money, wanting to be successful, wanting to hit the lotto, wanting all these things. That is the root of all evil. Because God's economy, if you are not financially wealthy, you're going to depend on him. If you're wealthy, you're poor. Okay? And so that's the, that's the idea here. So, we see that there is a difference between the rich and poor. Now, again, verse 5, listen to me, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? We know the answer, yes. Now look at the contrast in verse 6. Verse 6, the contrast. But you, those who show partiality, have dishonored the poor man. Here God is using... Uh, an opportunity for the poor in their, uh, the fact that they're not financially well to bring them to Christ, but now you're judging them and God is doing the work on the poor. Huh, I don't know about you. I don't ever want to get in the way of God. <laughs> and now he's going to give a, a rhetorical question at the end of verse six. He said, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They'll have five lawyers to take you to court for $5. That's what they'll do. Here's the next rhetorical question. Verse 7. Do they, the rich, not blaspheme the noble name by which you're called? The answer is yes. And that is because, not all, but because most, because they're often intoxicated with their power to manipulate, to get more. That is my money. I'm entitled to it. They want to make sure every dot is dotted, every number, every cent is collected, and it's in their bank. Now, James here, just to give you, again, let's, I always like to go back to the scene here. When James is saying this, I'm trying to figure out who are these wealthy who oppress and drag the believers into court. Well, it, most likely, James is referring to the Sadducees because the Sadducees were wealthy aristocrats and were very secularized, and they actively persecuted the early church. But we have that today. Be that as it may, they will oppress you and blaspheme the name, that noble name, and he's referring to Jesus Christ. Now, that's in verses 1 through 7. 
Partiality is a sin against God. Now let's look at verses 8 through 11. Partiality is a sin against the law. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. The royal law is the law of love. It's the law of love. It's been the law from the, the, the Old Testament, the covenant, the Old Covenant, and in the New in Leviticus, the Lord spoke to the children of Israel. The Lord said in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord God. And so it's not only in the Old Testament. So James is speaking about this royal law. It, the reason why he's calling it a royal law is because the king of all laws is the cane of all law. All the commandments that we find in the scripture, what is the number one commandment that stands up in front? The love is love. And he calls it the royal law because he's talking about is, it is the king of all laws that comes from the king of love, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Jesus gave the greatest commandments. The Pharisees and the scribes, they, they wanted to challenge Jesus. They said, well, uh, we figured Jesus never been to rabbinical school. There are over 630 commandments. Let's see if we could trap him. So they go to Jesus and they ask Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest law of them all? And Jesus rightly answered, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 40, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it in that it's a great command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what he's going to now put all the laws together. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Why did Jesus ask, hang? Because he's the one that's going to fulfill the law. He did not come to uh, condemn the law. He came to fulfill it. And what is Jesus saying here? You know, we have a tendency to look at, well, I don't want to offend my brother. I don't want to break that commandment. You know, the first four commandments are vertical to God. The next six are horizontal towards man. And we start thinking, if we're just thinking about the Ten Commandments, let's put aside the other 603. Well, how do I not sin against God? Love. But what if I... Love. Love God. You won't use his name in vain. You will spend time with him in Sabbath. You would not have any other gods before him because you love him. It's easy. You focus on love. It's easy not to break any of the commandments. The Word of God is a breath of fresh air, a crutch to lean on when you're too weak to stand, and much, much more. Here on Running the Race, you'll hear teaching after teaching by Pastor Eddie that inspires and challenges your walk with Jesus. If you haven't heard that much about Jesus, make sure to contact us at Calvary Chapel of Milford via runningtheraceradio.com, and we'll explain the message of salvation to you. Come be a part of the family of God and experience all that He has for you. I promise it will be beyond your wildest dreams. That website you want to go to now is runningtheraceradio.com. Just in case you missed it, that was runningtheraceradio.com. 
If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Running the Race is a radio ministry coming to you straight from Calvary Chapel of Milford, where we desire to be changed to look like Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit. To learn more about us, go to our homepage, runningtheraceradio.com. We're grateful you spend part of your day with us and pray you've been blessed by this broadcast of Running the Race.